Good evening, it is 5 p.m. and you're listening to Today in YGK on CFRC 101.9 FM, brought to you by CFRC's News Collective. Alexandra Fernandez, Dinah Jansen, Chancellor Miracle, Christina Laurie, Zayden Vergara, Erica Singh, and Mary McKetty. I'm Alexandra Fernandez, and here are your local news headlines. Kingston's Writer Fest welcomes award-winning writers Catherine Hernandez, Cole Pauls, and Dimitri Nasrala among its writing instructor lineup for the return of the popular Winter Writers Retreat happening Thursday, March 16th until Sunday, March 19th. Artistic Director of Kingston Writers Fest, Ara McCauley, says after the success of our inaugural Winter Writers Retreat in 2022, there was no question about bringing this even back to Kingston. It's the perfect time of year for folks to get away for a few days or a full weekend. The weather is warming up and Kingston Licious offers some delicious options for exploring our city's great culinary sense at a reasonable price. The Winter Writers Retreat features 12 writers' studio masterclasses instructed by a curated faculty comprised of award-winning and renowned Canadian authors. The classes are open to all levels of expertise and are meant to offer writers an intimate, warm, and non-judgmental space to create and learn. The 2023 faculty consists of instructors from some of Canada's top creative writing courses and they have the awards to show for it including Canadian Screen Awards, Giller Prizes, Prix d'Excellence, and Canada Read Shortlist, to name a few. We also proudly feature a strong local presence with Kingston authors Adrian Michael Kelly, Jean Ray Baxter, Wanda Pramsma, and Otonia Julian Okotbitek. Now entering its 15th festival season, the Winter's Writer Retreat kicks off the start of the Kingston Writers' Fest anniversary celebrations. For more information on Kingston's Writer Fest, this year's events, and the author lineup, visit kingstonwritersfest.ca. Winter Writer Retreat passes and single class tickets are now on sale. It took some time, but after a couple of delays and much discussion, Gananoque finally has a deputy mayor. Recently, council amended the procedural bylaw to replace the definition of deputy mayor and appoint the position for a four-year term. Council then appointed Councillor Vicky Leakey to the position. Typical me, I thought. Pick up your socks, there's an opportunity, a door is opened. Go, said Leakey, who's retired from 27 years working in public accounting as a senior manager for KPMG's Kingston office. She continued to say, because I value community and community life, this is an opportunity to do more. I am physically able, I've got some training behind me, I'm financially solid, I'm not a wealthy person, but I can afford bread, so it's time to give back. Although Leakey will serve as the town's deputy mayor for the remainder of council's term, she was initially not in favor of amending the procedural bylaw to replace the definition of deputy mayor and appointing the position for a four-year term. She said, because I thought other people might be interested, but then I started to feel that there's a purpose to this, so I decided to run with this. At the end of this, I will bring a motion forward around middle of year three, year four, asking, are we happy with this? Here's the negatives, here's the positives. And how does the rest of council feel? Is there something we should lay out for next council or leave alone and let the next council figure out what they want? Leakey describes her role as a backup position to the mayor. Leakey, Anne-Marie Coiner, Patrick Kirby, Colin Brown, and the mayor, Bedows, are all new faces to the council chambers in Gananoque, having been elected to the position during October's municipal election. Councillor Matt Harper and Councillor Dave Osmond are the only two leftovers from the previous term. Leakey admitted that there's plenty to learn in a short period of time for the newly elected members of council, especially during this time of year, which is budget season. But the experience, nonetheless, has been rewarding. Leakey describes herself as an achiever who tries to stay in constant communication with the community she serves. Periodically, she's taken to her personal Facebook page to let the community know where she'll be and when she'll be there in case members of the community are interested in joining her and maybe having a coffee. It's like coffee with a counselor. The idea was motivated by the recent coffee with a cop and coffee with a firefighter 
initiatives that were put in place by the Gananoque Police Services and Gananoque Fire Department. Leakey says it's a comfortable setting for communication. It's a way to keep a pulse with the community. I went a couple times for the coffee with the cop and it broadens your perspective. Sometimes there's no answers, but information is key. This story was written by Keith Dempsey and is part of the Local Journalism Initiative. On World Wetlands Day, No Clear Cuts Kingston, a nonprofit's residence group, announced that it has retained the Canadian Environmental Law Association, also known as CELA, to represent the group in an upcoming Ontario Land Tribunal hearing on the proposed multi-residential and commercial development of a former industrial site in Kingston. Carrie Hill, NCK director, says that... No Clear Cuts Kingston and its directors participated extensively in the land use planning process because we have serious concerns about the current development plan which proposes the destruction of significant woodlands and the degradation of a provincially significant wetland partially located on the subject property. We are thrilled to have CELA's expertise in helping us to address our environmental, planning, and public health concerns at the tribunal hearing. For over 50 years, CELA has provided legal assistance to individuals, groups, and First Nations in Ontario who cannot afford counsel in court proceedings or administrative hearings involving projects, undertakings, or activities that may adversely affect environmental or public health. In this case, the developer applied to the City of Kingston for an official plan amendment and zoning bylaw amendments to allow the large-scale development to proceed in several phases on land adjacent to the Catarockway River, but on September 6, 2022, the City decided to refuse the requested OPA and rezoning, and the developer then appealed the City's refusal to the Tribunal under the Planning Act. CELA lawyer Richard Lindgren, who now represents No Clear Cuts Kingston, says CELA looks forward to working with NCK in presenting evidence and argument at the tribunal hearing in support of the city's refusal to grant the requested OPA and rezoning. Our client agrees with the city that the current development proposal does not adequately protect ecological systems, natural heritage, water, and public safety, particularly given the risk of natural hazards and climate change impacts. The tribunal has scheduled a case management conference via video conference on February February 21st. At this preliminary hearing, Mr. Lindgren will be requesting the tribunal to grant no clear-cuts Kingston party status so that the group can fully participate in the hearing. Other members of the public who wish to have their views about the development proposal considered by the tribunal must complete a participant status request form outlining their concerns and citing case number OLT 22004597 and email it to the tribunal by Friday, February 10th, 2023. I had the amazing opportunity to speak with the, d- the director of No Clear Cuts Kingston, Carrie Hill. You can find more information and tune in at 5 p.m. on Tuesday, February 7th on CFRC 101.9 FM for the full interview. That's it for your local news rundown. And now let's throw it over to Erica Singh for Campus Corner. Hello and welcome to Campus Corner. As you may already be aware, this weekend has been full of controversy for the AMS. Last Thursday, during the AMS Executive and Undergraduate Trustee debate, several students were airdropped a picture showing the candidate Elizabeth McHarg, who was running for the position of VP of Operations from Team ERA in full blackface. According to McHarg, this photograph was taken in 2017 when she was 16 years old and did not understand the gravity of her actions due to the privileged life she led at that time. Following backlash, Team ERA dropped out of the election at around 2.50pm on February 4th. 
Ryan Chen, and Alicia Parker, the other two team members share that they are extremely sorry to all the students or community who may have seen or read about this photograph. In an Instagram story, they said, As a result of these actions, we agree that Elizabeth McHarg's name should not be present on the upcoming AMS ballot. As a result, teams KMV and TBD are the only two teams competing on the ballot today. The AMS has published a timeline of these events in their statement. On February 2nd at 4pm, the AMS is preparing for the all-candidates debate when they were made aware of a concerning allegation through an anonymous question about an unspecified executive candidate. No official complaints had been submitted to the AMS at this time. The Society also added a line in which the debate moderator script told the audience to email the AMS Secretariat if they had any concerns about the comments made here tonight, the election process, or the candidates. Between 7 to 9.30 p.m., more concerning allegations were submitted via the debate question form. No immediate action could be taken, according to the AMS, as they had not seen the photo and did not know who submitted the questions. The AMS learned of the airdropping of the photograph at about 9.30pm, immediately following the debate. Team ERA confirmed the authenticity of this photo to the AMS later that night. On February 3rd, the AMS started an internal investigation into election policies, but started and stopped on the same day since they determined that no appeals could be made to the Judicial Committee. The AMS then received two official complaints on the next two days. Shortly thereafter, Team ERA contacted the Society to drop out of the election. Many have criticized the AMS for their handling of this matter and believe that swifter and harsher action should have been taken. To read their full statement, visit the AMS Instagram. The recent events surrounding Team ERA in the AMS election serve as a reminder of the importance of accountability and the impact that our actions can have on those around us. Thank you so much for listening. That's all for Campus Corner today. Now over to sports. Good evening, everyone. My name is Zayden Vergara, and it's time for your CFRC sports update. Last Thursday, your Queen's University men's hockey team competed against the RMC in the 35th Carr Harris Cup to keep their playoff dreams alive. The first period would start off slow with the game remaining scoreless. Just under seven minutes into the second period, however, Dalton Duhart would score to give the Gales an upper hand. But the Paladins' captain Noah Rowe, with just a minute remaining the period, would score evening things out one to one. The third period remained close, with the Gales dominating the neutral zone. Paladins goaltender Joey May constantly managed to make save after save. By the end of the third period, overtime would be required. In overtime, it was three versus three, and early on, RMC had the breakaway pass. But it was denied by Queens goaltender Luke Richardson and allowed for Queens to have the opportunity to take the game. Here's a clip from CFRC's live coverage. And we're going to have Paquette on defense. This is scary for Queens, especially considering the fact that RMC has been very dominant on those big chases. Face-off win by RMC. Going to go trickling back towards their zone. Rowe has it. He's going to start making his way up. Finally making it into Queen's zone, getting ready for a drop pass. Just waiting for it. Centering pass, nobody on him! Open shot, shoot! This is the net. Wide! Rebound. Rebound potential. Stick being held. Hutchinson. Oh, no, not able to get out. RMC has another chance. Big save by Richardson! That Queen's a Cobbler, getting ready for it. Clean win. Duff. Very clean win. Great setup. Dover to Robert. Centering pass. Rebound for Duff. Not able to line up. Bouncing puck in front. Loose. Oh! Oh! Shoots for Queens. 
Huge goal! Queens has won it! There's a bottle in front of the net. We're gonna stick on it. It went right over May. Let's go! What a goal! The atmosphere in the Leon Center was absolutely electric all the way up until Alex Robert scored a huge overtime goal to keep the Gales' playoff dreams alive and to win the 35th Carr Harris Cup. The Gales' next match was on Saturday and it was another must-win against the Ontario Tech Ridgebacks. A back-and-forth first period led to no goals being scored by either side. Queen's goaltender Luke Richardson made a number of strong saves in the first half of the second period to keep the game scoreless before Dalton Duhart got the Gales on the board, burying a rebound midway through the frame. After forcing Ontario Tech into two penalties early in the third, the Gales capitalized on the 5-on-3 with Owen Lalonde finishing a nice passing play with a one-timer that found the back of the net. Lalonde's goal was assisted by Hayden Fowler and Trevor Longo. Ontario Tech would also find themselves with a 5-on-3 opportunity midway through the period, but Queens managed to kill both penalties. Matthew Hotchkiss added an empty netter assisted by Jacob Berhandy to steal the win for Queens. This huge win gives the Gales a fighting chance of making it into playoffs. Queens is currently 7th in their hunting for Ottawa's position in 6th. Both are currently 12-11-2. Ottawa has their final match against Miguel February 9th. Your Gales' final game of the regular season will be an away game against the second-place Concordia Stingers on Friday, February 10th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. On that note, that's all for your CFRC sports coverage. Now over to Chris Lurie with a community update. This is Chris coming in with your community update for this week. This week, I sat down with Ayla Fenton, Food Systems Manager at Loving Spoonful, to get a quick update on their involvement in the Kingston Public Market in Springer Market Square. To get us started, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name is Ayla Fenton. I'm the food systems manager at Loving Spoonful. Um, so Loving Spoonful works through the community and with a bunch of different programs to connect people to good food and build community. Um, and I, in my role as food systems manager, I manage all of the urban agriculture and local food access programs. And I'm sure lots of people heard the news in early December about your projected involvement in the Springer Market Square. Would you like to speak a bit to where that's at? Sure. So yeah, so the city um, put out a call last year for a request for request for proposals for a third party operator for the Kingston Public Market. Um, and this is because the city has been operating that market for, well, it's actually one of the oldest farmers markets in Canada. Um, but the past few decades, it has not actually been operating as a farmer's market um, because there haven't been enough farmers. <laughs> so the definition of a farmer's market is that there's 50% or more agricultural producers. Um, and there have been a number of challenges at that market over the years, but um, in part because of those challenges, a lot of the actual farmers left about 10 years ago and started their own market at the Memorial Center. Um, so that's the Memorial Center Farmers Market now, and that's actually like a producer only market. Um, and that market has now become really vibrant and like they've done a lot of work to promote local food and stuff like that. And the downtown market has been has been languishing a little bit um, and had a hard time attracting farmers. So that's part of why the city uh, put out this request for proposals is that they want to get it back to being a farmers market and attract more um, people who are actually growing food locally to sell to sell at that market um, and be able to revitalize it in terms of like having more educational programming and uh, things like that um, to build the local food system. So we thought that that was a, a really key opportunity for us to advance our 
mission, which is like to advance food sovereignty in Kingston um, and to strengthen the local food system. So we put in a proposal to the city of Kingston. Um, the city has now identified us as the successful proponent. So we are just working on kind of the final details of negotiating um, an agreement where we will take over management of the market uh, with the support of the city. We're hoping to have that agreement finalized um, actually within the next week or so. Um, so once that, once that's signed, um, we could like, I can, I could speak more to like what we're actually hoping to do with the market and stuff like that. Perfect. Yeah. And where can folks keep up with you? Yeah. So we're on uh, social media. You can find us at loving spoonful on Facebook, Instagram. Um, and our website is just loving spoonful.org. Uh, most of our program updates people can find just by following us on social media and finding out about volunteer opportunities and stuff like that. That's all for your community update this week. Next up is Mary with the weather. Thanks so much. I'm Mary McKetty, and this is your CFRC weather report. This morning, you can expect cloudy conditions to clear up while the winds go up to 15 kilometers per hour. By the afternoon, we will reach a high of minus one with a wind chill of minus three. Monday night will remain clear with 30 kilometer per hour winds out of the southeast gusting up to 50 kilometers per hour. We will reach a low of minus 11 with a wind chill near minus 19. Tuesday morning, we'll see a mix of sun and cloud with 30 kilometer per hour winds out of the southeast gusting to 50 kilometers per hour. Temperatures will rise to a high of plus 5 tomorrow afternoon, while 30 km per hour winds become southwest and gust to 60 km per hour. Tuesday evening, it will be cloudy with a 40% chance of rain showers or flurries and a low of minus 1. Now over to Alex with our traffic report. Thank you so much. I'm Alexandra Fernandez, and here is your weekly traffic report brought to you by the City of Kingston. Albert Street from Princess to 516 Albert will be closed on Thursday, February 9th at 7 a.m. until Friday, February 10th at 5 p.m. Lower Brewer Swing Bridge is closed until further notice. McDonnell Street from Johnson to Earl will be closed until the end of today for new service connections. Market Street from Ontario to King will be closed until Saturday, February 11th at 5 p.m. And University Avenue from Union to Earl will be closed until April 31st at 7 p.m. And the right crescent from the south intersection of Palace to 16 Palace will be closed until October 31st, 2023. The School Streets Initiative is in place from 8.40 a.m. to 9.10 a.m. and 3.20 p.m. to 3.50 p.m. on weekdays, meaning that these streets are closed during those times. McDonnell Street from Earl to Hill and Sydenham Street from Ordnance to Colburn. The Play Street Initiative is also in place. Thomas Street from County to Patrick is closed 3.30 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. on Mondays until August 28th. Some other delays that you can expect, Highway 33 east of Collins Creek Bridge to west of Coronation Boulevard, there will be some delays due to construction. Construction barrels and flag people will direct traffic around the work zone. Jackson Mills Road from McIver to Burbrook, you can expect delays from Monday, February 6th all the way until Friday, February 10th. And Jackson Mills Road near the KNP Trail is reduced to one lane for roadside safety improvements, but does remain open in both directions. 
King Street from Princess to Queen, you can expect a sidewalk closure until February 28th. The Portsmouth Waterfront Pathway has closed access to the pathway at the foot of Mowat Avenue and Young, as well as east of Lake Watch Lane. And Queen Street from King to Ontario, you can expect a sidewalk closure as well until February 28th. That's your weekly traffic report, and now let's throw it over to Mary McKetty for our events calendar of the week. Thank you so much. This is your events calendar for the week. From now until February 17th, the powerful This is Evidence exhibit will be running at the Isabel Bader Center for the, for the Performing Arts, located at 390 King Street West. This is a multimedia photo voice exhibit created by Dr. Rina Kukreja to focus on the relationship between undocumented South Asian immigrants and members of the Greek population, touching on themes such as xenophobia and masculinity. This exhibit is free to attend and runs from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday to Friday. More information is available at queensu.ca slash theisabel. This Thursday, mark your calendars for Majors Night, happening from 4 to 7 p.m. in the Biosciences Complex, located at 116 Barry Street. This event is aimed at first-year students deciding on their degree plans for next year, but everyone is welcome to receive guidance and advice from departmental staff, faculty, and upper-year students in various arts and science programs. Also on Thursday, the Kings of Queens Band will be jamming it out live once again at the mansion, located at 506 Princess Street. Made up of five Queens students, this band is sure to keep you entertained by performing some of Kingston's best indie rock music. Tickets are $10 at the door, so make sure to be there Friday 9pm. More information can be found at Instagram.com slash Kings of Queens, and that's Kings, the number zero, followed by an F, Queens, with no capital letters, spaces, or punctuation in their username. Coming up on Friday, the Queen's Conference on Indigenous Reconciliation will be hosting their opening gallery for their first in-person conference since 2019. This year's conference is titled Sustainable Pathways to Reconciliation and focuses on the longevity, durability, and resilience related to sustainable acts of reconciliation. With the purchase of an in-person ticket priced at $8 to attend only conference panels and workshops, you have the option to attend the opening gallery for an additional $2. The opening gallery will be hosted at the Malting Tower at the Tet Center, located at 370 King Street West. Additional information about the conference itself can be found at queensreconciliation.com. I'm Mary McKetty, and those are all the events that we're highlighting for the week. Thank you so much for tuning in to CFRC's news programming. If you ever have a news story or tip to share, please reach out to news at cfrc.ca. Stay tuned for more programming coming up next. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.